My very first car was a 1972 AMC Hornet. And I kind of looked like this one, except mine was dark blue. Got a picture of it. Yep, real chick magnet there, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anybody here own an AMC? Did anybody have an AMC? No, none of you don't want to admit it, do you? There, okay, a couple brave people admit. Okay, there's a couple other. Yeah, yeah, I had those AMCs. They, they, uh, they were known for one thing, and that is their proficiency at breaking down. Uh, I learned more about the internal combustion engine that I could have ever learned by going to a class by driving an AMC because it broke down on me all the time. And uh, one thing it was especially prone to do was to overheat. And so, you know, cars, they have that temperature gauge, you know, I'm talking about, and uh, it tells you, you know, if it's burning, if it's running cold, running hot. Uh, I had to pay close attention. I keep one eye on the road and one eye on the temperature gauge because that thing would overheat. I'd get it fixed, it'd overheat again. It was just maddening. Left me stranded alongside the road a couple times. I've never had a car overheat since then, but that one did frequently. As I was thinking about my first car, I was thinking, you know, wouldn't it be great if somebody developed an app that would somehow or another from your phone monitor your thinking, your heart, your body to see if you were burning hot or not, if you were getting just a little overheated, if you were about to blow a fuse because you were hot, you were really angry about something. And when you were getting to that point, you know, the notification would come, you know, and say, you know, leave the room, go count to 10, do whatever you need to do. But, you know, wouldn't that be kind of cool? Huh? Yeah, I, I, I think it would be uh, because, you know, we live in an age of anger. And I thought when I was going to uh, develop this message, I thought, well, you know, I'll just bring out, I'll just overwhelm everybody with statistics and stories about all the anger, but I don't have to do that. You know it. Just look at social media. Just watch the news. Just uh, pay attention to what's going on in our culture. Drive out on the roads and you'll hear and feel the road rage. It's everywhere, isn't it? I mean, we live in an angry culture. And in fact, it's, it's almost become acceptable, especially in the political realm, to be angry as if anger is this thing that is so good and valuable. And what's, what I find really troubling, though, is that I see it being embraced by Christians and justified by Christians. I, I've read articles where people are extolling the virtues of anger, more or less. And I'll, I'll reference a couple of them as we go. And this, this is a real problem because when you look at the, 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 the story of Scripture, you're going to see that anger has no place in the Christian's life. It, does, it has no place in the Christian's life. Last fall, I read a, um, a book. Now, by the way, I used to think differently. In fact, you've been around long enough. You have heard me talk about how uh, righteous anger models God's anger and can be a good thing, Okay changed my thinking. It all started with a book that I read last year, not by a theologian, not by a scholar, not by a, a, even a pastor. He's a radio talk show host. <laughs> he, hosts a, he hosts a syndicated talk show that's, and he, he's kind of, he's got this dry sense of humor. It's really, really funny. His name is Brant Hansen, and he wrote this book called Unoffendable, right? And uh, I read that, and that was early in the fall. And then when it came to the end of the year, I have this practice. It's kind of the spiritual practice that I do where I pick a word, I pray about it, and I ask God, what should my word for the year be? And I pick a word that, that will be a focus point for me throughout the entire year. And it's, it's just a discipline I use as a way of 
plugging into God's work, Holy Spirit, my life on transformation. And I chose the word unoffendable. And I said, this is gonna be my word for 2023. Now, if you type it in, Webster doesn't like it. Okay, I don't think it's a real word, all right? But we're gonna pretend that it's a real word for this series. And I'm taking the title from that book and the fact that it's been my word. And I said, you know, this is something we need to talk about. We need to have a conversation as a church, as Christians about this whole subject because when you choose to be unoffendable, it's a liberating path. It is so liberating. It is so good to choose to not be agitated up and worked up all the time and to just let it go. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. I wish it was that easy. It's not. And I'll, I'll share a little bit about my own battle. My is Anger is my number one sin that I battle. Um, so there's no easy fix here, but when we choose the path of being unoffendable, it's liberating. Um, so what I'd like to say to encourage us today is lose the anger and be unoffendable. Lose the anger and be unoffendable. To do this, we're gonna look at scripture, all right? And we're, we're gonna look at a, a passage in particular in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now, the apostle Paul uh, was one of the great leaders of the uh, first century, and, and he took the gospel all around the Roman world, and he wrote 13 of the New Testament books. And he writes this letter to a church that he founded at the city of Ephesus, all right? And the first thing I want us to see here is that anger is a normal emotion. God created us with all kinds of emotions, we may be happy, joyful, sorrowful. We may uh, be really downcast, we, and we can be angry, all right? We, we have all of these emotions. It's what we do with the anger next, though, that is really important. So we'll go to Ephesians chapter four, and Paul says this, in your anger, do not sin. All right, now, what I gotta be honest with you about uh, with this particular passage is there's a little ambiguity in the Greek language about how this should be translated into English. And so if you check out several translations, all right, you're gonna see that this particular, the first part of verse 26 gets translated differently because there's a little ambiguity there. One translation that's very commonly used um, interprets it as a command and puts it, be angry, but don't sin. And that really is saying it's a command. You should be angry, but don't sin in the process. Um, and, and one, a paraphrase, even takes it a step further. Um, a, a paraphrase is when the, the person doing the translation will kind of put their own spin on it to try to help you know, illuminate the text, hopefully make it come more alive. I find a paraphrase really helpful for me sometimes to gain insight into a passage, but a paraphrase should never be your number one Bible that you read. Um, you need to read a straight translation. A very popular paraphrase today is the message. I like the message. I, I have my own copy of it. I read it. I quote from it now and then uh, by the late uh, Eugene Peterson translated it. Here's how he puts Ephesians 4.26. He says, go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as a fuel for your revenge and don't stay angry. Now, Brother Eugene was having a bad day, I think, when he uh, put that down on paper, uh, because I don't see any justification for that spin on that passage, especially when you look at the context. I believe the NIV, the New International Version, gets it exactly right. 
uh, when it says, in your anger, don't sin. And what that is, is a recognition that we will get angry. And, but, it, but it says anger's, what he's really saying is anger is wrong. It's not to be encouraged, but if it shows up, get rid of it quickly, deal with it quickly. Um, again, I think that the context demands that. And also, this is a quote from Psalm 4.4, being in your anger, don't sin. Psalm 4, if you look at Psalm 4, it is written to unbelievers and it's appeal to people far from God. And it's saying, take your antagonism, especially towards God, resolve it and be converted. That is not a license to go, oh, go uh, uh, you know, off on anger. Not exactly when you look at Psalm 4. So anger is a normal emotion, but anger is a deadly sin. It's a deadly sin. That's why, this is what he says next. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, why does he say that? Anger is so volatile. Anger is so tricky. Anger, so dangerous that you don't want to nurse it. You don't want to hold on to it. Get rid of it. Resolve it. Deal with it before the sun goes down because it is just an emotion that will consume you and it will not lead to good places. So he's saying, deal with it quickly. And, and then he adds this, which is very sobering. So he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down. You're angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Why does he say that? He, he, what he's saying is, if you allow anger to dwell in your life, if you dwell on it and in it, nurse it, give it life, feed it, you actually give Satan himself a door into your life. Now, theologically, we call, we call this a stronghold. A stronghold is any place in your life, and they're, they're, they come in many different shapes and sizes. A stronghold is where you have agreed with a lie you have agreed with something that is against the gospel and therefore you have given permission to the devil himself to have a place in your heart. I can tell you as a person who has battled anger that I have had and had to deal with the stronghold of anger in my life. Because what happens when it's a stronghold, the devil gets it and he pulls the strings and he says, this is how you're gonna be. And he controls the narrative. He controls you through this. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a very dangerous thing. So that's why it's on the list of deadly sins. Have you ever heard of the seven deadly sins? Yeah, you won't find the list in the Bible, but wise Christians down through the years began to notice that there are certain sins that seem to give rise to other sins that are like seed that create so many other sins. It's not that the seven deadly sins are the worst sins, it's that they give birth to so many others. So you might know the list. Uh, the seven deadly sins, pride, uh, envy, anger, uh, lust, um, gluttony, sloth. And I forgot one in there. Where did I get it wrong? Pride, greed, anger, anger, envy, lust, sloth, gluttony. Those are the seven deadly sins. The thing they all have in common is 
that they lead to other things. So I asked Colin, our staff, who does graphic arts to create this diagram. I thought he did a fantastic job with it. And this shows anger is sort of a weed, and it's the root system. It's down there, all right? Here's just some. I, this is not by any means a comprehensive list, just the best list I could come up with of things that come from anger. Hostility, sarcasm, raised voices, shocking, hurtful words, abusive speech, cursing, <laughs> shouting, Rage, slander, contempt, malice, bitterness, gets worse. Threats, vengeance, blasphemy, violence, fighting, and, and at the worst things, at the very top, murder and hate. If God is love, pure love, then the opposite of that is pure hate, and Satan is pure hate. And where does it all begin? It begins with anger. Um, this is serious stuff. And you may know the famous passage in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus deals with this very thing um, when he talks about murder. In um, Matthew 5, he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. It's one of the 10 commandments. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, that, that was, a, it was a slang for the day. It meant empty head. I know none of you have ever called anybody Raka. <laughs> have you ever called anyone an idiot? Well, we got quiet there, didn't we? Yeah, that's the same thing. Um, anyone who calls their, their brother or sister idiot is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fires of hell. Yeah, that's where anger takes you, into the very fires of hell. And Jesus is saying here, it's a sobering word, you may never take out a gun and shoot somebody, but you can kill them in your heart. And the same spirit is at work. And you will be liable. You will be answerable to God because of this. It's serious stuff, friends. That's why it's a deadly sin. Now, anger is an emotion. It's, it's a natural emotion. It's what we do with it next that becomes the problem. Anger is a, den- a deadly sin. The third point I want to make is a bit provocative. And, and maybe something you've not heard from a pulpit. All right? And that's this. Anger is completely unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. I heard a young preacher named Ron Watts years ago say that there was a right cause for anger. Well. Now, how do I know? And say, well, Ron, how do you know that Eugene Peterson didn't really get it right? How do you know that that other translation isn't right? How do you know that, that in your anger, do not sin is the pro- appropriate way to uh, translate that? I think, again, you always look at the context and you look at the broader passage of Scripture, the broader message of the Bible. So first, let's look at the context. Paul goes on several things. You heard the scripture reading today. In verse 31, he says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. All of those things are fruits of anger. What does he say? He says, get get rid of all. He doesn't say, get rid of all but righteous anger. Get rid of most of your anger. The interesting thing about that word in Greek, the word all, do you know what it means? It means all. 
Smart, huh? Yeah, yeah I know Greek. Um, it's all of it. So, so if there's this appropriate place for anger, why does he just a few verses later say, get rid of it? Paul would be contradicting himself if on one place he's saying a command, be angry, and then a few verses later is saying, get rid of all of it. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and, and so, well, 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 Ron, what about righteous anger? You've heard of that. I mean, God gets angry. We'll talk about that in a second. Is it, isn't there a place for righteous anger? Well, first off, who's going to be the judge about what is righteous anger or not? I don't know about you, but when it comes to disagreements, I am always so darn right. <laughs> so how am I ever going to judge if it's righteous or not? Because I'm always right. Okay, so that becomes a problem. But then I just, got, I just have one verse for you. James 1. You, you know this verse. Um, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That's good stuff. Will, will we say that together with me? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then notice what he says. Next verse. Because human Anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There you got it, friends. Anger does not produce righteousness. From the human perspective, there's no such thing as righteous anger. Okay, don't take my word for it. Let's look and see what Scripture, more Scripture has to say. Um, if you want to know the wisdom of life and how to live day-to-day life, a good place to hang out for a little bit is the book of Proverbs. Proverbs was written mostly by Solomon the king because he prayed that God would give him wisdom and God made him wiser than any person who ever lived on the face of the earth, spare Jesus. And so um, most of the Proverbs are written by him. And what I want to do is I want to look at some of the verses in Proverbs that have to do with anger. I'm going to read, a, read several for you here, okay? Let's look at this. A couple from Proverbs 14 says, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. The wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but a fool is hot-headed and yet feels secure. It gets hot-headed and then they feel okay about it. Chapter 15, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. 29, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Pause for a second on that one. I've grown up, as you have, in the psychological age. And there's a lot of wisdom to come from modern psychology. And one of the things that a lot of pop psychology has taught us over the past 50 or 60 years is that it's not good for your health to keep it in. You just need to let it out. You just need to vent. When you're angry, just let it all out because it's just, you know, giving you heartburn. It's giving you heartache. And so you just need to vent on people. Is that what Proverbs says? It says fools give full vent to the rage. Well, so chapter 22, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Boy, you take that literally, you're going to have to take your phone out and defriend some people, huh? <laughs> Remove them from your contact list. Um, a quick-tempered person does foolish things, and the one who devises evil schemes is hated. Chapter 19, a hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them, and you'll have to do it again. 
Chapter 25, a person who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. And in ancient times, if a city had a broken down wall, that city was subject to invasion. That city was in deep trouble. It kind of becomes like that stronghold. It becomes a real problem. Okay, so now what I want to do, those are all the verses in Proverbs that talk about the, the uh, anger and the, the problem with anger. Now, I want to look at the verses in Proverbs that talk about uh, the, the, the wisdom of righteous anger, okay? Guys, would you bring up the slide? What? Oh, there are no verses in Proverbs that talk about that. Okay, well then let's go to the whole Bible. Let's, let's look at all the Bible. We're going to bring up a slide that shows all the verses in the Bible that say righteous anger is a good and wise thing. Ready? Go. Yeah, it's blank too. Now, now if you, I, I'm convincible. If you can find it, show it to me. I haven't seen it. It's just not there. It's not there. We'll talk about it after the service. Um, yeah, there's no place for anger. Get rid of it. Um, you say, well, isn't it necessary sometimes? I read an article by a Christian writer who said that nothing really great happens in this world without anger fueling it. Well, I'm not going to deny that there have been some wonderful things that have come as a result, but again, the anger of human beings does not create the righteousness of God. Um, I would say just the opposite. I would say that when anger gets involved, usually bad things happen. You know what I'm talking about because many of you have been on the receiving end of anger. And the reason you have a problem when the Bible talks about the anger of God, which we have addressed recently in a couple of messages, is that you just immediately associate that with the anger that you have seen people display and it scares you. Angry people scare me. I don't know about you, but they scare me. I have been, you have been wounded by anger. I... It almost always leads to bad things. Sometimes you'll, you'll hear, I, I love sports, and sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll uh, see, you know, talk about teams, you know, what, we need to motivate our players, you know, as if professional athletes making millions of dollars a year need additional motivation, and we need to get them angry. Uh, any fans of Ted Lasso? I can't endorse the show, okay, but, it, but I, I have watched all three seasons. Okay, so Ted Lasso is a comedy, and it's, it's, the whole gist of it is this American football coach is hired by a soccer club in England to come and play, coach soccer. And he's never played, he's never, he doesn't know the sport at all. So that's kind of the gist of the humor. Well, anyway, he, Ted Lasso is this amazingly good guy. The redeeming thing about the show is that Ted Lasso is, is a decent, good human being. And it's just refreshing to see a decent, good, basically good human being portrayed on film. Well, he has this guy who's his equipment manager who has a real mind for soccer, and he becomes like the assistant coach and, and, and does really well as an assistant coach. Well, then he has a falling out with Ted. They, he gets angry. Ted, not mad with him, but he gets really angry with him, leaves the team, gets hired by their arch rival. He goes to coach West Ham, the arch rival of their team, and they're playing this game. Well, fast forward, long story, in season three, um, Nate, his name, breaks in to uh, Ted Lasso's team's locker room. And he takes down the poster that was an inspiration to the team from, from day one. Ted Lasso wrote the word believe in, in like markers or crayon and put it up above the door. Believe. 
And it became a rallying point for the team. Well, he breaks in, takes the poster and tears it in half. They don't know who did it, but the surveillance camera catches it. So the other assistant coaches say, you know, we need to use this to motivate the team when we're playing his team. So show them the video of him breaking in and tearing out the poster. And Ted Lasso says, no, we're not gonna do that. That would not be good. So they don't. But then the game is on and it's halftime. Ted Lasso gets called to have a conversation with the owner. Well, in the meantime, the assistant coaches decide they're gonna pull out the video and they show the team. Oh, they change, all right. And the one, words of one coach, hey, they were catatonic before, but look at them now. They're yelling and shouting at the screen and then we'll just watch and see what happens next after they watch that video. Yeah, anger was a great motivational tool for the team that day, huh? That's usually how it works. Anger is like a fire that rages, that rages out of control. Scriptures teach us instead to be unoffendable. Let's go back to Proverbs, three more verses. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. Now, that will get quoted in the New Testament as love covers a multitude of sins. There are just times, friends, when someone sins against you, just let it go and you let love cover it. Chapter 19, a person's insight gives him patience and his virtue is to overlook an offense. It's virtue to overlook an offense. It's virtue to be unoffendable. And then 12, a fool's displeasure is known at once, but whoever ignores an insult is sensible. Now, we get to the subject of righteous anger. We'll have a conversation. I'll come back to that in a second. Let's be honest. Most of the time that we get angry, it's because we've been insulted. It's about us. We've been offended. We've had someone diss us. We've, had, we've not gotten our way. All right? It's not about some good righteous cause. It's because we personally were aggrieved. And how does Jesus handle that? How does Jesus handle when he's attacked? How does Jesus handle it when he's called names? When he's punched in the face and they pull his beard out and they nail him to a cross, how does he respond? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus never responded to a personal insult with anger, never. Now, but Rod, whoa, 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 now Rod. And I've had people bring this up many times. What about that whole thing in the temple with the, you know, driving out the money changers and everything? Yeah, okay, well, let's look at that. It, it actually is quoted in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a very significant event because it talks about the whole changing of the guard and what God's new temple found in Jesus. Um, and I don't have time. I was gonna read all four um, uh, gospel references to you, but I'm just gonna look at John. So let's, let's turn to John it's uh, found in chapter, chapter two. It says here, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. Watch it. So he made a whip out of cords. Now, pause. Did Jesus fly off the handle? Did he just, just lose it? No, he sat down and he made a whip. Probably took him several hours and drove all from the temple courts, sheep and cattle. What did he use the whip on? Sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered 
that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. I want you to notice what word is missing. Anger. And it's missing from all four gospel accounts. Not once are we told that Jesus was angry when he went into the temple to cleanse the temple. Not once. We read that onto it because we would see how we'd respond. That's us reading our own personality onto Jesus' personality. It's not what he did. He had zeal. Zeal is a positive good that is a passion for what is right and honorable and good and just. He did not have anger. But, you know, Jesus was angry. Yeah, there are, there are a couple places where he was angry. It's always because of how someone is treated. Well, then I can be angry. One big difference. You're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. God can handle the anger. I can't. It's like nitroglycerin. Can't handle it. Anger is completely unnecessary, so be unoffendable. Now, say, why is this important? Why are we going to spend the month of August looking at this? Good question. Because of this. Friends, the only thing that you will take with you when you die is the person that you have become. No money, no stocks and bonds, no possessions, no houses, clothes. You will take the person you've become. And I love how C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, we are even either becoming heavenly beings, more and more like Jesus, or we are becoming hellish. Something like you'd see out of a horror mill movie. Or something so righteous and beautiful that after a thousand years we saw it, we would be tempted to worship it because it would be so glorious and so beautiful. You've heard, you've heard it said, uh, you've heard the phrase grumpy old men. I'm getting old. I can understand that whole thing. I thought the movie was great. That's code for angry old men. You, you've known some people, haven't you, who have just taken in the insults, taken a, uh, uh, they've been aggrieved and affronted by all this stuff, and they just get progressively angry. You ever known that person? And after 70, 80 years of that, it, it, it can be pretty ugly. Now, picture that same trajectory of anger over the course of a thousand years because you were made to live for eternity. 2,000 years, 10,000 years. It'd be downright hellish. Hell is filled with people who have been building up and getting more angry as the centuries have gone. And that's why Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it from you, for it's better to go through life with one eye than to be cast into hell with two eyes. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it's better for you to go through life with one hand than to be cast into hell with both hands. It is serious stuff, the people that you and I are becoming, friends. Serious stuff. And so we gotta take this to heart. The transformation that God wants to do in your heart and my heart is an ongoing work. And he's so good and patient with us. 
I can't tell you how many times I've quoted the word unoffendable to myself this year right after I got offended. It's a battle. It's a journey. I, I discovered this. I, 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 I'd like to say I knew about this before. I've always been a fan of the 12-step programs and AA and what have you. Um, but you know, there is a, uh, there's a group called RA, Rageaholics Anonymous. Really, is it's built on the 12 steps. Um, so, so I wanna read the first three to you because dealing with the anger in your life is not about going to an anger management course. That's not gonna fix it. It takes deep spiritual work. The first three steps, which are part of the 12 steps, from RA, we admitted we were powerless over rage, that our lives had become unmanageable. Now, your life may not be unmanageable, but it's, it's not good when it comes to anger. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. That's the path. Recognize that it's not working. Recognize that God has the power. Friends, I would say, give your anger to God and I'd be leading you astray because if you could give your anger to God, you wouldn't need a savior. What you do is you say, God, would you take my anger from me? I can't give it to you. If I could give it to you, I could get rid of it. Give it to him. Let him take it. Let Jesus take it. And find your strength in, in him. And it's a journey, but as we pay attention to that, <laughs> that temperature gauge, as we pay attention to the state of our souls, Jesus is going to lead us on a path that leads to life. That I can't tell you how many times this year when I was about ready to get offended at some, I, I, I just remembered that word, allowed the Holy Spirit to speak, and it was so liberating not to be angry about it. It's the better way. It's the Jesus way. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the wisdom from Proverbs, the wisdom from Ephesians, the wisdom from James, and throughout your scriptures that show us a better way. Forgive us when we have tried um, to tame our anger our way, or when we've, like fools, just given full vent to it. Holy Spirit, would you come and change us? Would you deal with a stronghold in our life? Holy Spirit, right now in the hearts of some who are listening to me, even this second, would you, would you show them the stronghold that exists? Not to condemn them, but that they might find freedom and release and joy and liberty. Come, Holy Spirit, change us. Transform us. Make us like your son, Jesus, who turned the other cheek, who did not respond to hate with hate, who loved. Give us the power. And may we, by your grace, so that you get all the glory, show the world a better way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're so glad you tuned in today. If you like this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it with anyone you think could benefit. 
We're excited about all the content we have coming up and can't wait for you to see it. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out. If you're curious about LaCroix or if you're looking to take the next step on your journey with Jesus, check out LaCroixChurch.org. We hope to see you again soon.